0: Welcome to We Are History. I'm laughing because John just clapped and it was like he missed his hands. It's hard clapping. We, we count down at the start of every recording, people, and we count down five to one and then we do a clap and then we start and John just completely missed his hands. It's it hard. People. It's hard. It's anyway. like since
1: John's accident.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to We Are History Pod. I'm Angela Barnes.
1: And I'm John O'Farrell.
0: And uh, John, this history podcast, it's about world-changing events, right? We're not here for gossip or tittle-tattle. We don't go seeking scandal just for the sake of it. Absolutely not. Um, But anyway, the book we both read for this one is called A Very English Scandal
1: (laughs) by John (laughs) Preston. Yes, indeed. It was uh, recently adapted into a great TV series, a drama starring Hugh Grant. So you might have seen it. It's all about what is known as the Thorpe Affair,
0: concerning
1: Mm. the leader of the 1970s Liberal Party, Jeremy Thorpe.
0: Yeah, so this story might not be as much of a historical backwater as some of our more eclectic choices, um, but we both felt it's such a fascinating and bizarre episode and so British. Yes. Um, That we couldn't really resist getting our teeth into it, could we?
1: Absolutely, no. So um, who was Jeremy Thorpe? Well, he was an old Etonian, uh, of course. His father and (laughs) grandfather had been Tory MPs. He made a decision to join the Moribund Liberal Party, very much a declining force way back in the 1940s. But this meant a hardworking self-promoter like Thorpe could get a fairly long way pretty quickly. And at the age of 22, he was a parliamentary candidate in the Tory seat of North Devon. He kept plugging away there and by 1959, he became the local MP. One of six Liberal MPs in the House of Commons at the time. <laughs> I know, it's like, how do they dish out the jobs then in six? When you've got a party with six MPs, it's like, yes. okay, so we're going to have uh, Home Affairs, Foreign Affairs, Treasury, Health Education. Okay, well, I'll take those. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. much better for the Lib Dems
0: now, is it? No, They've got exactly 12 thing, or something. At least yeah. they can all get there in one minibus, I suppose. That's, yeah. You know, yeah.
1: bright side and all that. But uh, old Thorpey, he cut uh, quite a distinctive figure. He was a snappy dresser. Going to get himself noticed. One might even say he was a flamboyant figure. If it didn't sound possibly homophobic.
0: Yeah. Well, now of course we do presume that he was gay, right? But at yes. the time we're talking about here, it was illegal in the fifties. So, um, as he's rising up the ranks of the Liberal Party, that's something that had to be kept secret.
1: Yes. I mean, he was considered as a possible best man for the uh, wedding of his Eton chum, Tony Armstrong Jones, mm. to Princess Margaret in 1960. But then. Um, they vetted, uh, they vetted him, and checks indicated that he might have tendencies. Tendencies, yes, tendencies. Yes. yeah. We think this chap might have tendencies. So I don't know what that means. MI five got his file out and just wrote tendencies. tendencies. And I think we But all... well, of course, and at these
0: times, you know, MI five, it was something of interest for him because if you had tendencies, yes. and you are a politician. That means you're vulnerable to blackmail. Well, yes.
1: Ooh, well, this this might be relevant mm.
0: to this podcast, Angela. It, it might be. So, 1967. Thorpe becomes the leader of the Liberals and he quelled any of these rumours going about about his private life by marrying a lady, John. A lady, John. Um, Yes. What a novel idea for a homosexual (laughs) to marry a lady in order to cover up his homosexuality (laughs) at this time. What a novel idea. So, um, Caroline Alpass, Alpass... Yeah, I'm all pass. Sure. Say, pre- say it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Caroline, all passed. Uh, yeah, say <laughs> it so quickly, they won't notice. It um, was tragically killed in a car crash in 1970. Yes. Uh, and then in 1973, he remarried Marion Stein. And when the first 1974 general election was a stalemate, Thorpe was suddenly in the spotlight as the man who might keep the Tories in 10 Downing Street. Uh, Thorpe was hoping to become Home Secretary in the new government, but the negotiations fell apart over electoral reform. And eventually, Heath resigned and Labour were back in Downing Street, winning a small minority later in the year.
1: But all this time, Mm. Thorpe had been hiding a troubling secret. And this was soon to explode into the headlines in the mid-1970s. So way back in 6061, Thorpe had met a young stable lad called Norman Joseph, later Norman Scott. When I was a kid, this was in the news, and they'd always say... Male model, Norman Scott. It was almost, the euphemism for homosexual was like, the way the newscasters used to say male model. It couldn't have been with any more contempt. <laughs> we all know what that means. <laughs> we all know what male model means, eh? Wink, wink. Uh. Anyway, Norman was a, a young and quite troubled man. Mm. Uh, he'd had a mental breakdown and Thorpe being the caring chap, Tch. or predatory older man, yeah. take your pick, he took him under his wing, taking him to stay at his mother's house in Oxted in Surrey. Ah, oh, that's nice, isn't it? And there they began a sexual relationship. Because
0: if you're going to start a secret affair, John, a spare bedroom at your mum's house is always the best starting point. Absolutely. Um, I do remember in the in the TV adaptation with yes. Ben Whishaw and Hugh Grant, it was a particularly, and obviously it's a dramatic interpretation of events. None of us yeah. were there. Um, but it, that, that moment I found particularly uncomfortable because, you know, was it a sexual relationship or was it, you know, was Norman... A sort of a seduction, Scott, uh, yes. Yeah, was he groomed, essentially? A man with mental health difficulties who... Yes, absolutely. You know, was trying to get on in the world, didn't come from a brilliant background. Mm, you know, with this old Etonian with a lot of power.
1: Yeah, it's, hard it's, to say it's no unsettling.
0: It. It's unsettling. It's very unsettling. That scene particularly was very unsettling.
1: Well, the thing about the John Preston book is that he was the first person to really go and talk to Norman Scott at length. Mm. So um, that's what the drama was based on.
0: Yeah, so... Thorpe sets Norman Joseph up in a flat in London, which again sounds perfectly like something you'd do, uh, where you can visit him for sex, which already that's seedy. It yeah, feels not, seedy. It's, yeah, it's that's it's feel not cedy, ideal. Yeah. And Joseph being, you know, a man with severe mental health difficulties, Thorpe begins to realise this isn't a situation he can control anymore. So he's used to being powerful and in control, and any anything that might get him, you know, into trouble, he he's powerful enough to, to be able to, Close to hide. It down. Yeah, and, yeah and shut it down. Uh, but jo- this this is a loose cannon. He's dealing with here
1: exactly right. And Joseph becomes particularly obsessed with his national insurance card or the loss of it. Thorpe kept setting Joseph up in various jobs, but they all fell through or went wrong. And Joseph became increasingly angry and bitter towards Thorpe, and he threatened to kill the MP at one point and then himself. He, he wrote a long letter to Thorpe's mum. I uh, hope he thanked her for the stay, but also telling her all about their five year affair. And he blamed Thorpe for awakening the vice that lies latent in every man. So Scott, not at all at ease with his own sexuality.
0: Yeah, a, a very disturbed young man. Jeremy Thorpe, of course, claims blackmail. Yeah. Um, that, that this mad mm. man is trying to blackmail him.
1: Mum, um, it's blackmail. So don't, don't yeah, believe him, do you, Mum? Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's, li- it's all lies. It's all lies. He's just trying to get money out of me or just trying to get something out of me because I'm so powerful and important. Uh, so he turns to his friend, the limp, Liberal MP Peter Bessel. Yes. Uh, Bessel meets up with Norman Scott. um, And after a few years of trying to set him up in jobs and aborted plans, and eventually he begins to pay him a retainer to keep quiet, essentially. Yeah. And he gives him a lump sum to set himself up as a male model. Male model. Male model. So in
1: 1968, Scott turns up again, penniless and making demands and talking loudly about his affair with Thorpe. Um, the now leader of the Liberal Party says to Bessel we have to get rid of him and it would be no worse than shooting a sick dog uh, which is pretty ironic considering how the story played out but anyway yeah. Bessel was pretty shocked at what um, Thorpe was saying and he hoped he wasn't serious he sort of uh, claimed later that he was playing along with him um, uh, that uh, that might sort of stop Thorpe going somewhere else but uh, he went along with Thorpe and discussed ways of getting rid of Scott's body down a Cornish tin mine was a uh, Uh, one idea suggested. um, They suggested David Holmes, who had been the best man uh, at Thorpe's wedding as the assassin. Um, Not sure if that was mentioned in the best man's speech. I would kill (laughs) this guy's gay lover for him. He's my (laughs) man. Um, But yeah, so this this, this thing was being planned out.
0: Yeah, and Bessel and Holmes, they later claimed that they carried on discussing the plans because if they refused, Thorpe might have gone elsewhere. So I suppose they're saying that their thinking was if he's talking to us about it, it's sort of safe. We can play along with it and go. Yes, Jeremy yeah, is going to kill him. Uh, and if we didn't, then he might go and seek someone else to help him.
1: I think that's them covering their asses after the. Oh event. yeah, totally. <laughs> there there were, there were embarrassing letters kicking about to Norman Scott from Thorpe that had gone missing. Uh, Including uh, some compromising photos
0: Politicians will never ever learn Will they Don't don't write it down Don't write it down And don't take photos of it Because they will (laughs) They will It's like the perfume thing Is
1: it Thorpe's nickname for Norman Yusif Was bunnies uh, Bunnies As in little rabbits, Bunnies Bunnies And he wrote in the letter Bunnies can and will go to France I miss you it's not. It's not uh, what something you say I to mean, a business a business acquaintance. You go, yeah, you got to come and fix those, um, fix that contract we sorted out, bunnies. <laughs> this doesn't yeah, sound right, does it? No,
0: yeah. but also it's not you know laden with sexual explicitity. But no, yeah, no. different times, yeah, different times. Um, so Norman Scott continues to lurch from crisis to crisis in his chaotic life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gets married, then separated, and he tells anyone who'd listen about how Jeremy Thorpe had ruined his life. But you know, this is a man. With mental health difficulties, sure. chaotic life, you know. He's been exploited,
1: you know. He's been exploited.
0: Yeah. But also, you know, do people believe him when he's banging on no, about, I no. had an affair with that Liberal leader? And then, of yeah, course he yeah. did, dear. You yeah, know, yeah, it, it, yeah. he wasn't a particularly credible um, No, he can't say he's helped
1: himself a great deal. He went to uh, see a Liberal MP who was no friend of Thorpe's and that prompted a secret internal inquiry within the party mm. uh, and uh, in which Scott was just dismissed As a sordid blackmailer and a crank, like you were saying, Angela. So every turn, there's an establishment instinct to protect their own, even from non-liberals. So the police had some compromising letters and had heard the allegations, but kept them secret. The Tory Home Secretary knew about the allegations, did nothing. The Sunday Times had details, but chose not to pursue them. Even the Sunday Mirror gave a cache of letters back to Thorpe. Um, Though they did take photocopies, of course.
0: (laughs) It's almost like these old Etonians just protect themselves regardless, isn't it, it,
1: John? A cynic might say so.
0: A cynic Um, might say so.
1: (laughs) Now, uh, you mentioned that uh, Thorpe's wife was killed in a road accident. In in the book, Preston alludes the possibility of suicide, that she Mm. drove headlong into a lorry coming the other way because she discovered the secret scandal surrounding her husband and the fact that her whole marriage was based on a lie. Mm. Uh, we can't ever know that, but it doesn't seem an unreasonable suggestion for the way that no. crash happened. And
0: also, if that's all going to come out, how embarrassing and humiliating and the yeah. shame for yeah. her, particularly at that time, would have been yeah. immense, wouldn't it? Yeah. So Thorpe's highest political moment came in the February 1974 election. Yeah. But little did the public know that there was a political scandal brewing. And not only was Thorpe involved in a conspiracy to murder... It was about to get even worse than that, John, as far as the British public were concerned, because, John, a dog was about to die.
1: Now I'm not on his side. Yeah, that is it. that is where we're going to have to take a break. I can't, yeah. I'm going to, it's all right, you know, exploiting gay people with mental health problems, but if a dog gets hurt, that's it. That's when the public opinion swings the other way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break there to pay off any blackmailers and uh, practice our contempt when we say male model. Male model.
0: <laughs> See you in a bit. Hello and welcome back to We Are History Pod. Um, we are talking about the Jeremy Thorpe affair. So Thorpe's now, is 1974, Thorpe's having a sniff of power and he's more determined than ever to avoid this scandal from, from the decade before yes. coming out.
1: He had uh, remarried uh, a very high society lady, Marion, the Countess of Harewood. Um, but it was only a matter of time before Scott's wild allegations became public knowledge. So in late 1974, he started to formulate his murder plan, Angela. He approached someone called John LeMassurier.
0: Not the guy from Dad's Army.
1: Do you really think that's wise, sir? (laughs) (laughs) No, not the same John LeMassurier who plays Sergeant Wilson, disappointingly. (laughs) Um, This John LeMassurier is involved in all sorts of shady dealings. They managed to get some money from a Bahamas-based millionaire supporter of the Liberals, Sir Jack Haywood. He was the chairman of Wolves Football Club as well. Thought basically went to him, look, we need loads of money after that election. Can you give us um, like £50,000, but 20 of them? Could you just put into my (laughs) bank account?
0: Yeah, just pop that in. in, I don't really want to say what it's for, but if you could just pop that in this account.
1: (laughs) Right, so 20 grand and you don't want to say what it's for, but straight into your personal account.
0: (laughs) That's, yeah, legit.
1: F- that's fine. Absolutely fine. No suspicions at all there at all. <laughs> so they hired a hitman called Andrew Newton. He was a former pilot and he drove down to Devon and approached Scott, claiming to have been hired to protect him from a Canadian hitman, which seems like right. a very random bit of detail. He's going to tell a, well, a yeah, lie. But
0: Scott's a, a Norman Scott's a, a man with mental health difficulties. He's paranoid. So yeah. if some stranger comes up to him and says, you know, I've been hired to protect you because a Canadian hitman's after you. He's liable to believe that. in the, you Especially know. if you
1: put in a bit of detail. Canadian.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you could go Those... too
1: far. If you went Mongolian, that would be too interesting. <laughs> so you've got to pitch it just right. There's a Canadian hitman. Uh-huh. Actually, Scott had been beaten up the week before, so he was particularly paranoid. I don't know if that yeah. had anything to do with the rest of this story. So on the 24th of October, 1975, he was persuaded to accompany Newton on a long drive across the moors whilst he talked yes. to them all about it.
0: And Scott had a dog with him. It wasn't his dog. He was looking after a dog. And this wasn't a little handbag chihuahua. It was a great dane called
1: Rinka. That's it's, it's, sure. this is weird because Newton hated dogs. Yeah. But he's like, oh God, I've got no choice. He wants to bring this bloody dog. I'm not, it's not clear whether it was his dog or he'd taken ownership of this dog or he was just looking after it. I think you're right, right. Angela, that he was looking after it. I did read somewhere else that it was his dog. Anyway, right. Newton had no choice but to take this bloody dog in the car so they drove across the moors with newton's got a bloody pistol in his pocket the massive dog panting in the back that's <laughs> probably got bad breath as well in between them uh, and then on a deserted stretch of the road newton starts to pretend to be too tired to drive he starts weaving all over the place and pretending to nod off he says oh god we, we'll have to and and um we'll have to swap over you'll have to drive he says to right to, to norman scott to as the he dog. is now oh no to yeah, the, dog, the dog that would have made it <laughs> a bit more interesting
0: in sorry rinka you'll have to <laughs> drive I'm so they tight. get
1: so they get out of the car of course the dog gets out too mm. this big great dane leaping about probably had a wee and uh newton gets out a gun and he shoots the dog oh, God. which is uh in the head sw- john in the head poor rinker then he turns the the gun to norman scott and says now it's your turn he pulls the trigger the gun jams he tries again it fails to fire several times and eventually newton goes well what what am I going to do now? I've got oh, a bloody dog yeah. down here. This bloke's screaming at me or running away or whatever. Yeah. So Newton jumps in the car and speeds off, uh, leaving Scott with a dying dog in the middle of the road in the middle of the moors at night. So I'm just really sad, sad about for the dog. Sad about Rinker.
0: I know. So eventually a, a car comes along and finds Norman Scott, understandably in some distress. As Hello. Be, Hello, can we your... help you at all? Yes, Jeremy Thorpe's <laughs> tried to have me murdered and the gunman only killed my dog. Oh, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yes, of course. Oh, we thought well, that was probably it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do, you, do you mind if we don't put the bleeding dead dog on the back seat? Um. Yes. yes. So the, so the police were notified.
1: Police were notified. Newton was tracked down because actually, um, although Scott was quite naive about getting into his... car and go with him. He was slightly suspicious so he did make a note of his number plate and pass it to um, an acquaintance. uh, I think if you
0: are paranoid, you know, you you do do things like that, don't you? Yeah, some
1: justification, let's be honest. So, uh, Newt was tracked down, he was arrested um, but claims Scott was blackmailing him and that he'd just been trying to frighten him off, hence the shooting of the dog. Um, he obviously uh, didn't let on about the deal with Thorpe's mate, Holmes. And so uh, Thorpe was kept out of it for yeah. the time being.
0: And there were, there were hints of this scandal waiting to break in, yes. Um, yes. in Private Eye. Aubrey oh, that's right. Will. Oh, this is brilliant. Yes. Yes. My only hope is that sorrow over his friend's dog will not cause Mr Thorpe's premature retirement from public
1: life. That's a nice wink, wink, nod, nod mm, from Oberon Ward there. Um, sorrow over his friend's dog. Meanwhile, the Liberal Party uh, found out that 20 grand was unaccounted for because they found mm. out how much Jack Hayward gave... Oh, yeah, they
0: put 20 grand in um, a separate...
1: Yeah, and so Liberal Chief Whip David Steele, who we all remember, urged mm-hmm. Thorpe to resign the leadership. It's like, what is this going on here? In March 76, Newton was put on trial in Exeter and Scott, you know, goes in the witness box and repeats his allegations about Thorpe. So this mm. is now out in the public domain. Newton is found guilty of possession of firearms with intent to da- endanger life. Gets two years, but he still doesn't grass up Thorpe. Wow. Um, all this time, Bessel... Who'd been the uh, first person Thorpe had gone to is no longer an MP. He's f- naffed off to California, but the Daily Mail are onto him, and he confesses that he had lied to protect his friend. Um, and it's all starting to come out. So it's all unraveling now. It's isn't all it? unraveling. Mail, you know, is in the courtroom. Scott has said this stuff under oath. Bessel has said that he uh, lied to protect Thorpe. So what Thorpe does he goes, I'll take control of this situation. I'm going to uh, arrange the publication of these letters that everyone is talking about in the Sunday Times, the ones that put me in the best light. And this will kill off the story once it's gone public. So he puts in uh, these letters, including the one that says, bunnies can and will go to France, miss you. And thought, well, that'll get me off the hook.
0: hook. But that's, I suppose, when you've been brought up in that, you know, that, that you can get away with anything. Absolutely. Sort of, you know, why wouldn't he get away with it? He's got away with everything in his life up to this point. Um, but,
1: but, the British public... The British public. public <laughs> yeah.
0: Not as stupid as he thought. Like, eh? Bunnies? What the fuck's that about? And yes. uh, <laughs> the move <laughs> completely backfired because it's much too interesting and weird to kill the story off. You've got your the liberal leader going, <laughs> writing these letters to a man.
1: Yeah, saying, uh, but miss you, bunnies will go to France. It's like, yeah. hang on a minute. Yeah. So Thorpe resigns as leader, uh, which actually did take the story, sting out of the story for a while. Mm-hmm. And things went quiet until... Uh, the next year, in October 77, uh, Andrew Newton comes out of prison and then he sells his story, saying he'd been and why paid five, he? Yeah, he'd been paid, he's pissed off. Yeah. So he'd been paid five grand to kill Norman Scott. Mm. So now, finally, the police have to go, well, we have to follow this up. And there's an inquiry, and Thorpe, Holmes, and Deakin were charged with conspiracy to murder, along with John Le Do you really think that's wise, Captain Mannering? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it's quite an unusual name, John Lemassurier. Eh? It is. The, For two of and, them. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it was the
1: same one. Maybe it was. No, I don't, uh, I don't mean that family of John <laughs> We loved your, Sergeant Wilson. Thank you. Yes.
0: And now, in the still homophobic atmosphere of 1970s Britain, let's not forget, yes. it's not like, you know, homosexuality was legalised and then everybody was absolutely fine with it. Absolutely. Um, That's not what happened. Uh, the scandal was laced with, with delight that these homos had been caught... Getting up
1: to no good. Absolutely. Like, I mean, back then, uh, a liberal equals homosexual was basically the essence of all the jokes told in schools and oh. pubs around the country. Was, I remember going around my classroom, do you know about the liberal arrested at the airport? They found a full spot in his suitcase. Ha ha ha. Oh, and yeah. it's like, but even I, as a teenager, um, thought this was in hilarious. A, in a woolly lefty family. In a woolly lefty family, but it's still like uh, the yeah. covers of Private Eye were sort of homophobic. Yeah. And, you know, um, age 14, And our Christmas tree, I cut out the face of Jeremy Thorpe and put it on the fairy. And my parents thought this was hilarious. And all their friends went, have you seen what John's done? It's so witty. He's made Jeremy Thorpe into the fairy on the tree. And it's like, oh, that's so amusing. Now I'm ashamed of such homophobic sort of humour. But I was 14 and it was was a different Different time.
0: Different times, John. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Hello, I'm Ross Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? With me, Roz Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So the preliminary hearing begins in Minehead in November 78. The papers were absolutely full of it. Yeah, Bessel described the comment of uh, the shooting of a sick dog. Hmm. So that was all over the front pages because a dog had been shot, so it didn't yes, help. Of course. But his testimony uh, became tainted by the revelation he was getting 50 grand from the Sunday Telegraph for his story. Uh, scott gave details of his seduction by thorpe at thorpe's mother's house and then described the killing of the dog and the gun pointed at him that fell to go off this was all in the papers it was dominating the news and then the judge arranged the trial for uh the old bailey and and then there was a brief delay while there was a 1979 general election and just to add uh insult to injury thorpe lost his north devon seat
0: yeah, not helped, of course, by Oberon War standing against him for the Dog Lovers Party. That's yes, just
1: yes. what was his slogan. He had some brilliant <laughs> yeah.
0: slogan in it. Rinka is, is it... not forgotten. Rinker lives. Woof woof. Vote War to give all dogs the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
1: Yes, Oberon War secured seventy nine votes.
0: He really was <laughs> the count bin face of his day. He was.
1: He's a weird <laughs> bloke, Oberon War. Actually, I met him a couple of times when I was writing on. Um, uh clive Anderson talks back in the first series we we're so desperate for guests that we had Oberon war as a guest on the show and then we went to, i went to the this little uh, club called the academy uh where one of my mates was a member I went, john you know, you're I
0: took, so establishment i
1: took i took clive anderson with me to have a drink there and Oberon war was sitting at the It's his club i think and right. um clive anderson went oh hello um uh clive anderson he goes uh, i don't think we met and he went, you were literally on my chat show on television. <laughs> and he didn't remember meeting Clive, even though he'd been like a guest on his chat show. I thought, well, that's posh. That's really <laughs> impressive. Love it. Anyway, the trial, that's, enough, that's nothing to do with anything apart from Oberon Wall. The trial began immediately afterwards, uh, after the election, I mean. The judge was Sir Joseph Cantley, who was incredibly biased towards Thorpe, showing mm. his complete contempt for the prosecution witnesses like Bessel. Yeah. Um, was he posh, John? He was posh.
0: Yes, of course. Of course, he was biased towards Thorpe. Um, in his summing up, he praised Thorpe as a national figure with a very distinguished—I <laughs> mean, John, you've totally written pubic record in your uh, notes.
1: <laughs> Maybe
0: it was a pubic record. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'll say that again. <laughs> Sorry, that's really—that's quite funny. Giggle. Leave it. In. Leave it. In. All right, leave it. In. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you meant, John, was a very distinguished public record. Yes, um, And said Scott was a fraud, a sponger, a whiner and a parasite.
1: Yeah, this is, mm. uh, this famous summing up was brilliantly satirised by Peter Cook for the Amnesty show.
0: Is that the Secret Policeman's I think it might be the oh. one that just
1: preceded oh, the Secret okay. Policeman's Ball. So I think it, they became that in like 81. This was 79. Mm. I've got an LP of it in, <laughs> in my collection. I used to play it over and over again. But uh, the very first review of that show had said there wasn't much satire in it, so Peter Cook just went off and wrote this monologue, and it had this uh, brilliant take on the judges summing up. He actually just before he went on, he said to Billy Connolly, "What's another euphemism for homosexual?" And uh, Billy Connolly said, "Oh, here in Australia they say a player of the pink (laughs) ooble." So so he goes out there and he goes, "He was a sponger, a whiner, a parasite." a self-confessed player of the pink oboe. It was a (laughs) masterpiece of parody and uh, I sort of (laughs) know it off by heart. But at the end he goes, and now it is the jury's duty to retire, as indeed should I, to find (laughs) the defendant not guilty. So huge applause. But that's basically what happened.
0: Yeah. God, after two days, jury acquits all four defendants. Yep. Uh, George Carman had defended Thorpe and destroyed the prosecution witness in the box. Um, And David Steele welcomed the verdict as a great relief. Well, of course,
1: he did. Yes, everyone on Thorpe's side was like, well, he's proved to be completely innocent. In North Devon, Thorpe's, you know, former constituency, Mm. the acquittal was celebrated with a Thanksgiving service at which the presiding vicar, the Reverend John Hornby, gave thanks to God for the ministry of his servant, Jeremy. The darkness is now past and the true light shines. This is the day the Lord hath made. Now is the day of our salvation.
0: Yeah, but the wider British public didn't believe it for a minute. Did they? No, they didn't. No, <laughs> and no, also, no. John, a big dog got killed, and yep. that is not okay. Never mind yeah. the gay bloke who nearly copped it.
1: What about the dog? That was what was on the front pages, and um, but so, so thought was sort of ruined. He was thrown out of politics. The liberals didn't want him back. Weirdly, I remember this. Amnesty International made him director of the British section, and there were huge <laughs> protests from yeah. staff and members, and the uh, and the offer was withdrawn. Uh, don't forget Peter Cook's parody had been for an amnesty show. Yeah. So the other defendants continued to try and get money for their stories, insisting that they'd been part of a conspiracy to murder. Stop saying we're not murderers. <laughs> we were murderers. <laughs> but the Liberal Party sort of recovered and then they launched the, 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 you know, they went to an alliance with the SDP, which was launched mm-hmm. in sort of, what, 82? And then under David Steele and David Owen, yeah. And, but, yeah. Uh, and Thorpe himself, he uh, developed Parkinson's disease and withdrew from public life. A generally disgraced figure, I think it's fair to say, despite his acquittal.
0: Yep. Dies in 2014, aged 85.
1: Yes. And then John Preston's book, this one we based our, uh, our research on, this came out a couple of years afterwards. and I have to say, it's a, it's a, it's a great read. Like yeah, his it's books. really good. And so you a maximum. Maxwell, time actually, go, but, Maxwell. Yeah. I can't wait to
0: Ooh, read that. Yeah, do read the book and watch the TV series as well. Was, the TV series was brilliant. Hugh Grant was a brilliant thought. It was a,
1: it was a brilliant thought. It was really amazing. Good.
0: Um, ben Wishaw played Scott, who was also brilliant. Although Ben Wishaw is also Paddington, so it, it was a little <laughs> upsetting. Um, but yes. it does. The whole thing does make you think. What would have happened if if he that gun hadn't jammed?
1: Absolutely. You I know, would thought have
0: got away with it? Would. Yeah, just, I, yeah because
1: Norman Scott had been making all these allegations in mm. public, you know, fairly liberally. So it might have led back to uh, Jeremy Thorpe at some point. But it's a lesson yeah. on how the British establishment instinctively looks after its own, as we said. Even mm-hmm. if you're a different political party, an old Etonian politician could literally get away with murder because the a- accusation came from a powerless outsider. Of course,
0: that could never happen today, John. Never it, happened today. Never no. happened today. No. But the postscript,
1: the postscript.
0: Um, Norman Scott is still alive, uh, still living in Devon. Uh, with 70 hens, three horses, a cat, a, parrot, a canary and five dogs, John. That's
1: what it says in Peston's book, which I but think I is... Five dogs, uh, I
0: hope he's uh, happy. Yeah.
1: Poor Rinker. I think we should dedicate this podcast to Rinka.
0: Rinka the, the Great Dane. The Great Dane,
1: who copped it in the middle of Bodmin Moor or wherever they were. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's one of those great sex scandals that... Uh, sex and conspiracy to murder scandals, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out of a time when it was still shameful apparently to be homosexual and even people like me were happily making jokes about it in the playground oh john angela you weren't making jokes about it were you
0: i wasn't no because i hadn't
1: been born john all right
0: (laughs) (laughs) what year was was it 74 yep two years before i came along yeah
1: 76 actually sort of when it came out oh oh, it was you i was
0: born then so i was making jokes about it in the womb john (laughs) what i was doing there we go
1: Thank you all for your lovely reviews we're getting on, uh, on iTunes. It's, I mean, your... we
0: obviously love reading them because it massages our ego, but That's also it thing. does help us, um, you know, get onto the iTunes pages and things. So do please give us five stars. and Yes, yes, and this is uh, a um, nice well-chosen reviews.
1: subjects, plenty of information, whatever your level of prior knowledge, without the somewhat patronising language often used by real historians.
0: Yeah, we won't, we won't hazard any guesses of who they're talking no. about by the real historians, John, but we know. Well,
1: they're saying we're um, not real historians, Angela.
0: Yeah, how dare they, John? <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: we'll catch you next week on We Are History, and keep sending your suggestions, your comments, and reviews. Yeah, and, at uh, We Are
0: History Pod on Twitter. Yeah, and um, we'll see you next we don't time. bother with
1: the other things. We don't bother with the Instagram and the Bebo, no, we're on that, it, we?
0: but we don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: but yeah, we'll catch you next time.
0: See you next time. Bye. Bye.